In the name of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Now, lest you be concerned about my voice and the symptoms of COVID, uh, this is a chronic uh, uh, sinus problem, so don't despair for me. Uh, we'll be fine. Um, this is a, a big day today in the life of the church and in, in, in our own personal lives. Um, we see that it's uh, the tenth day of Christmas, according to the Christmas Carol. I've forgotten what happens on the tenth day of Christmas, but Lord's a leaping or something like that. Uh, it's the second Sunday in Christmas. It is Epiphany Sunday, the Sunday right before the Epiphany on January 6th is Epiphany Sunday. It's the first Sunday of the new year, and most important, it's no longer 2020. And I think I could hear a silent amen uh, coming from the crowd. Now, this past Christmas season has uh, certainly been the most unusual uh, for all of us. Uh, for the first time in nearly 20 years, I haven't been uh, with, with family. Um, and for most of us here, we're not able to travel. Uh, many of us were not able to attend Christmas, ser Christmas Eve services or Christmas services. Uh, people uh, on YouTube right now uh, have taken precautions and, and felt it better to be worshiping at home. Uh, so it's been, in some respects, one of the loneliest Christmases, certainly one of the most alone Christmases we've uh, had in a long time. In fact, on uh, Christmas Day, uh, Judy and I uh, opened uh, gifts with our grandchildren on Zoom. Uh, there's something basically unnatural about that, but it was uh, the best we could do under the circumstances, and I'm sure others of, it, of you enjoyed your family this way. Now, it's important for us uh, this Christmas season, this Advent season, season uh, to, to look for consolation uh, in a number of places. One is in our memories, thinking back on the kinds of Christmases we've had. Uh, uh, and so looking at the past becomes important uh, because it, it, it uh, establishes the foundation for the future. Uh, and our passages today help us to look to the past uh, in anticipation of the future. Uh, the uh, passage for today, Matthew 2 and the wise men, is, uh, I, I went back and looked in the uh, uh, annals of the church and for at least the last five or six years, that's been the, the passage we've read uh, uh, on Sunday, on the, on the first Sunday of the new year. Uh, and it's also a very familiar uh, passage that we need to take a, a more careful look at because usually the things, uh, uh, stories we know well uh, often need to be examined even closer for uh, more richness. And uh, we, we need to do that even this Sunday. Um, but the passage also that was, uh, we read today was from uh, Daniel uh, chapter seven. Uh, let me read it again. It's ex uh, extremely important, uh, not only for us, but for those who first heard this. Daniel writes in this, uh, in this prophetic vision that he had, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. 
This is a particularly poignant passage for the Jews back 600 years before Christ. They were in captivity for 70 years. Uh, many of the Jews, most of the Jews were in Babylon. And uh, you, all you need to do is do a content analysis of the Old Testament. Five different books of the Old Testament uh, focus on what happened in the captivity. And it's mentioned even <clears throat> in the New Testament. Uh, so this is a terrible time. Uh, we feel put upon, uh, it's, it's hard to believe, but the quarantine has been less than 70 weeks. I can't imagine what it's like to be in captivity for 70 years, but the Jews at that time were. And so this is uh, Daniel's consolation to them, not only a consolation, it is a word from God about Christmas, about Jesus coming and being a king. And we know the story, uh, this Old Testament story about the Babylonian captivity and especially uh, Daniel. Uh, as you recall, the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a, a, a dream and he wanted it interpreted. And so he asked his, his wise men at the time, his wise men, to interpret it. They said, well, tell us what the dream was and we will uh, interpret it. He says, no, no, no. If you're really wise, you'll tell me what the dream was and interpret it. Uh, and because they couldn't, uh, 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 the king ordered them to be executed. He ordered them to be executed. Now, when Daniel heard about it, this slave in, in Babylon, uh, he, uh, for some unknown reason, but a good reason, I'm sure, uh, uh, runs to uh, the executioner in this passage in Daniel 2. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, the executioner, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to, to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. So he saved the lives of these wise men, these magi back then. Now, this becomes significant with our wise men uh, also, and we'll take a look at that significance. But Daniel goes in and saves the lives of these wise men. And after he interprets uh, the dream to the king, uh, the king does this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, when we think about the wise men of Babylon, we have to consider them in terms we may understand today. They were the, the White House staff. Uh, there were probably more than two or three uh, of these wise men. There was probably a whole staff. There could have been a hundred of them. And they were, uh, they, they were given a death sentence. And uh, so, uh, and Daniel saved them. Uh, now, what's significant about this is in the history of Babylon and in then the succeeding empires, Parthia, Mesopotamia, this story would have lingered on. Uh, Daniel in the uh, den of the lions, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fiery furnace, this story would have persisted and it would have gone on for years. Uh, 
for those of us working, I've worked in politics and government for 40 years, and I've written speeches for uh, five members of Congress. And in those speeches, one of the surefire ways to uh, get the attention of the, of the hearers was to quote something in, the, in our history from George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson. To, so to go back into the history of our country, and in the same way, uh, these uh, wise men over the years would have perpetuated these stories over and over again, and it would have been a, uh, a point of education for them. And the wise men, our wise men, uh, were probably uh, filled with that learning in their heads. And they were the, uh, arguably the most highly educated people of their time. Uh, they were mathematicians, astronomers, astrologers, historians, and theologians. They read promiscuously. Uh, there was no internet, no Google, no Xbox, no TV, no streaming videos. And absent those, you read a book. And these people did. And so they understood a great deal. And they read the chronicles of their own people. And so we have to ask ourselves, having read all these things, why did they come to, to Bethlehem and Jerusalem? It's because they read other parts of the scripture besides Daniel. In Numbers, there's a passage that says, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. They would have read about this star coming out and being a portent of what might happen. And then in Isaiah, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. They would have read that and would have made a, uh, an impression on them. They would have also read from Micah, but you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. They would have read this, and they would have studied it and realized something important is going on. So we have what's going on in the life of, of the wise men. And so we also ask ourselves, why did Matthew include the wise men coming to Jerusalem in his story? Uh, it's the only time, the only time in scripture that the wise men are mentioned positively. In every other case, in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, Simon Magus in, uh, in, in Acts is seen as an evil man. So the Magi were not seen as good people. Yet in Matthew, the only gospel writer to include it includes this story about the wise men. Also in this story, he doesn't include the Daniel story. He doesn't include these other passages uh, about Isaiah or in Numbers. Uh, he doesn't include them. And we have to wonder why this story? Well, Matthew wrote his gospel for fellow Jews. He was writing for Jews. And this story appears early in his gospel. And I believe it, it occurs early in the story because Matthew is poking at his Jewish readers. He's telling them something very important. You guys may not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but look at these pagans. Look at these enemies of Judaism. They read the same things we do, and they understood it to be Jesus Christ. And that's why they've come here. He was telling his readers that even pagan enemies of Jews read the Old Testament 
and understood who Jesus Christ was. Now, we Christians today, at least as, as I was growing up and uh, especially going in the church, we Christians on the, on the Matthew, second, Matthew 2 passage, uh, we'll spend a lot of time talking about the star. And we see the star as the real hero in this story. And I believe that's a mistake. Uh, the star is not the central figure in here. Um, we fussed a lot on December 21st about the convergence of Saturn and Jupiter. And I know a lot of people went out and took pictures. Uh, there's mention of it on the NASA website. Um, and people suggesting maybe this was the star of Bethlehem. <clears throat> and in fact, uh, uh, in the uh, early uh, uh, centuries, uh, there was a convergence of Saturn and Jupiter three times in one year. It's uh, unusual. And so people want to say, aha, that, that's, see, that was, might have been it. But I think it's a mistake to, to be uh, distracted by the bright star. It's important. We believe it is. Uh, uh, sent by God. I personally don't believe it was the convergence of Saturn or Jupiter. I think it was a miraculous star and it, and it led them. But it is not the central uh, feature of this story for Matthew. It's also important to understand the, uh, what, what was going on in Jerusalem at the time. Uh, these magi uh, came into the city uh, and we, we called them three kings. They weren't kings. Uh, they were indeed wise men. Um, Jerusalem at the time was a city about the size of Green Bay, Wisconsin. And if there were two or three uh, of these magi coming into Jerusalem, a city that side, nobody would have taken any notice. But I believe that this was a huge retinue. This could have been dozens of wise men. They would have been on camels or Arabian stallions. Uh, and as wise men representing the king from their country, they would have had a huge retinue. And that's why the passage talks about uh, the Jewish authorities were upset. Herod was upset. The people were upset because this is a great display of, of power uh, and a very unusual incident. And so therefore, I think it's important for us to look at what happens after they they, they reached Jerusalem and after they talked to Herod, because this is where the miracle occurs. Remember, they had traveled, the Magi, as much as a year. It could have been, it's about a thousand miles from uh, Jerusalem to different areas in the Middle East. It could have been uh, somewhere in Arabia, uh, but certainly somewhere in Mesopotamia. Uh, they had studied the Old Testament all their lives. They interpreted the sign of the bright star they brought great gifts to Jesus, significant gifts. Uh, they were so attuned to uh, the importance of this incident that they brought these gifts, gold for Jesus the king, frankincense for Jesus the high priest, myrrh for anointing Jesus as the sacrificial lamb of God. Then they arrive at the house where Jesus was. This too is significant. This is not the manger. We, we put the, the wise men, the three kings at the manger. It was not there. It was a house. And Jesus was probably a year old at the time. And, uh, and here is actually the point that Matthew is about to make. That even pagan enemies of Jews, of God, 
recognized who Jesus Christ was. And that's why I believe that the wise men are our original godfathers. And they pose uh, a, a kind of template for us in taking a look at 2021 and how we should respond to it. Because uh, there's all sorts of different ways to look with anticipation. Um, and th that template is that like them, we have to read the scriptures. Like them, we have to do, uh, conduct our daily walk in faith. Uh, we have to follow our own stars, whatever they might be. We have to offer our gifts and ourselves to God through the year. But even that is not enough. The critical miracle of what happened with the Magi is when they walked in, they saw Jesus with his mother and it says they got down on their on knees, got down on their faces and worshiped him. They worshiped him. And this is the point of Matthew's story to the Jews that at the heart of it, Jesus Christ is the king. We take this for granted sometimes, but for Matthew, he was basically stopping his foot literarily, telling his readers how important this was. And that's why it's an important event for us. We cannot get caught up in saying that we've read the scriptures, we've been moral, we've done all these good things this year, and forget what the significance has to be for this year. I'm gonna to read to you uh, something from Charles Spurgeon. Many of you uh, are familiar with his morning and evening. Uh, this is uh, his, uh, uh, his devotion uh, for the 31st of the year. And he says, the sinner must come to Jesus, not to works, commandments, or doctrines, but to a personal redeemer who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. The bleeding, dying, rising savior is the only star of hope to a sinner is the only star of hope to a sinner. Those of us that have been going to this church and are members of this church and those of you who are here uh, uh, are well aware that uh, even though we call ourselves Anglicans, the rest of the world sees us as evangelicals. We are evangelicals. And the, the, the critical factor of, of evangelicals is we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We sometimes throw that term around, uh, sometimes too casually. But the goal of 2021 is to seek that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about merely coming to church, reading the scriptures, but the goal is in some mysterious spiritual way to come face to face with Jesus Christ. That's why in every worship service that we have, the communion is such a central focus. Remember, a sacrament is an outward invisible sign of an inward and invisible grace. And in some respects, what we're gonna do today is, is act out uh, what's happened during Christmas and uh, understand a little more fully what the uh, wise men thought. Uh, in a few minutes, the clergy will come down and uh, bring the bread to each of us. Now, I have to admit, uh, I, I don't particularly like this way of doing it, uh, but it's the way we're gonna do it. And uh, I have learned to adjust. I'd rather come down to the rail. However, 
I have to admit that there is some striking power in the way we do sacrament right now. Because the minister will come down, come down to each of you, and he will put the bread out. He will put the body of Christ, this symbolic spiritual reality, into your hand. And that's exactly what God has done in Jesus Christ during this Christmas season. He has offered himself to us, and we have to receive it. And that's not an inconsequential act for us. And in this way, we become one with Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this sacrament is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So 2021 has a great deal of promise for each of us. And that promise is in Jesus Christ. I can't promise you that it'll be a great year. I can't promise that somebody in here won't get ill. I can't promise a lot of good things, but I can promise that Jesus Christ will be there for us, for us to worship, to commune with, to know him. And we will remember with the wise men that he is the great king. Let's pray. Heavenly King, we thank you for the great gift you have offered us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus Christ is the great king. Be with us this year. Dispel 2020 for us. We're done with it. And we look forward to your grace, your mercy, your presence in our lives during this wonderful new year. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.